we, the agents of Cool, have gathered here today to place another star on our memorial wall. This time we are here to record in honor of the late Dame Diana Rick. And let's be honest, she is the finest creature that ever walked on God's earth. Well then, welcome back to the Agents of Cool. And uh, today, um, today our task is a little solemn, although we'll try not to be solemn about it, because if we were overly solemn, I think she would probably arise from the grave and smack the crap out of all of us. Uh, we were eventually forever going to get to the Avengers TV show from the 1960s, uh, totally unrelated to Marvel's Avengers, uh, that starred uh, secret agent uh, John Steed, played by Patrick McNee, with a uh, succession of partners, three of whom were fabulous babes, uh, avenging quirky crimes in the English countryside. Uh, now, like I said, this is a classic. We were always going to get to this, and unfortunately, we've gotten to it after the passing of the most famous of Steele's partners, uh, Emma Peel, played by uh, the late Dame Diana Rigg. Born in 1938, spent her first eight years in India. She was a classically trained theater actress, she has a list of credits as long as your arm on the IMDb, star of television, film, stage. Uh, she did pretty much everything you can possibly do as an actress. She was uh, Mrs. Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Coral Tracy. Yeah, she was in, uh, a fr friend of the show requested that we name check that she was in Theater of Blood with Vincent Price. She was in The Great Muppet Caper in 1981. Uh, she was an active and vital actress up through the 2010s. She played, I think, Lady Tyrell. I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but she played Lady Tyrell on Game of Thrones. Uh, her last performance was in Edgar Wright's, uh, an upcoming Edgar Wright, I think it's Last Night in Soho, due out later this year. And you can check Edgar Wright's Twitter feed for the story of his last interaction with Dame Diana Rigg, and she's just as badass as you'd ever want her to be. Perhaps her most indelible mark on the pop culture landscape was as Mrs. Peel, Emma Peel in The Avengers for two seasons in the mid-60s. And like I said in the intro, and I will die on this hill, she is the finest creature ever to walk God's earth. So uh, I am, as always, Eric, your grumpy number six, joined by... Ray. And Stacy. Uh, Dame, uh, Dame Rigg uh, passed away in late 2020. We are recording this in early 2021. Um... Yeah, this is not a, it's not, it's a, it's a sad thing, but I don't think we're going to be sad about it because I don't think, um, I don't think she would want people to be overly solemn or melancholy about this sort of thing. It seems somehow insufficient to memorialize her in this way um, because she was a lot more than just a spy actress from the 60s. But on the other hand, this is our show. This is what we do. So uh, so this is what we're going to do. I mean, we could uh, go into her appearance in The Great Muppet Caper, but... And well, that, well that, that would have to be the Muppet Podcast, which I don't know. Maybe we should do a Muppet Podcast. I don't know. Uh, right now we're doing a spy show, so we're going to memorialize her, by God, by talking about the Avengers. Now, the Avengers. This was uh, this is one of the all-time classic spy shows. Uh, and, and I've got a little data here. This comes from the book Spy Television, which is one of my go-to texts. Uh, it's written by Wesley Britton, and I've quoted it in uh, shows before now. Uh, it's about, uh, the book's probably out of print by now, but it's an absolutely fine text for what we talk about here. Uh, the Avengers debuted in 1961, uh, prior to Dr. No, believe it or not. And, and get this, the first season did have Patrick Minnie as John Steed, but his first partner was a dude, uh, a doctor uh, named David Keel. Uh, that was season one, black and white, more or less shot as live television. Uh, it's my understanding the second season second season had a kind of rotating series of different partners. And then uh, season three, uh, we got Honor Blackman as Kathy Gale. Uh, and that's kind of when things started to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Percolate. Percolate, congeal, carbonate. Uh, Kathy, uh, Kathy Gale was kind of a prototype. And I don't know if this is necessarily the most respectful way to look at it. 
could be seen as a prototype for Emma Peel. She was kick-ass. She was badass. She wore the leathers. Um, but then she got uh, an offer to do Goldfinger and was kind of tired of the working conditions on the Avengers. Long hours, physically demanding part. So she leaves. And then they bring in uh, Diana Rigg as Emma Peel. Uh, mm -hmm. Rigg also did two seasons, one in black and white and one in color. And these were the first seasons of the Avengers to be brought over to the States. Uh, aired primetime by ABC in the mid-1960s. So oh, that's and, why we think of Steed and Peel as the archetypal pair. Right. Right? And that's why we Americans think of Steed and Peel as the archetypal Avengers, because those were the ones we saw. Uh, the show is quirky. It's kind of vague, I think, until the last season, who Steed may actually be working for. I mean, he's the, he's British. He's a British agent, but there's the, the, the episodes I've seen, there aren't any, like... Uh, there's not a tape scene like there is in Mission Impossible. There's not a scene with M like there is in James oh. Bond. Uh, they just go about the countryside solving quirky crimes and smashing mad scientists and whatnot, uh, as you're supposed to do. Uh, after Diana Rigg leaves, there's one more season with a character named Tara King, played by Linda Thorson. Uh, and she was controversial at the time, but it's my understanding in later years that she's been uh, kind of reevaluated, and there are some great episodes in that season. There were a couple of seasons of The New Avengers in the mid-1970s, uh, which starred Gareth Hunt as Mike Gambit, uh, Joanna Lemley as Purdy, and uh, Steed in kind of an advisor type of role. Uh, two seasons, some of which I understand were pretty good, but didn't really take off. Then there was the 1998 Avengers movie, which starred Ray Fiennes as John Steed, Uma Thurman as Emma Peel, and starred uh, Sean Connery as the villain, Sir August and Winter, and all of that looks really good on paper, but we saw all of that locally at the Kentucky Theater, and it was one of the most ghastly films I've ever seen. It was. It was fun. It was fun. I thought it kind of. I thought it was flat. I thought the whole thing just kind of laid there, like like out of date salmon. You know, just thump. I mean, where the original show was kind of light and frothy, this is like a like a lump of subway baloney, right? It just did for me it just doesn't work. I mean, I don't have um, any I have I have memory of exactly I have memory of exactly one scene and that's pretty much Sean, you know, with Sean Connery in a teddy bear suit. Uh and I'm not, and I'm not saying and I'm not saying that's not fun. No, but that's that that's literally the only thing I remember from the entire movie to be honest. I couldn't tell you what the plot was. I couldn't tell you how the villain proposed to take over and or destroy the world. Literally I could tell you nothing about it because, well, it's Sean Connery in a, in a teddy bear suit. And the, and uh, the reason you can't tell us anything about it is because it just wasn't very good. Yeah, there, yeah and, there's... And, and, uh, Sean, now, Sean wouldn't mind. The check cleared, and you remember him, right? I, I, the check I, cleared, and you remember I mean, Sean, so that's all he would have been I mean, about. I heard the visuals of Ray Fiennes uh, in the little bowler hat and Uma Thurman in the, the, the aforementioned cat yeah. suit. So that's, I mean... I mean, visually, yeah. I mean, visually, you close your eyes and boom. I can totally picture the. I can totally picture the posters. I have no idea what happened in the movie again, other than Sean Connery at some point wore wore a teddy bear suit in a room full of other people wearing a teddy bear suit. So he wasn't, you know. Um, and on, and on paper, that should work. I don't but, know about the teddy bear suit. Now, eventually, after having seen the an episode of it, the teddy bear suit may not have been as crazy off the mark as it seemed at the time. Now it may not have been. But um, but I, I got to say maybe it's maybe some things even though they work on paper just aren't meant to come back around. Maybe the chemistry of Patrick McNee and Emma Peel and Honor Blackman and the writers in that particular time in British history maybe some things don't get replicated. Maybe I, some things don't come back around. I mean you can't you maybe can't. what they had was something genuinely special in the annals of pop culture. And, and I'm inclined after watching our show last night I'm inclined to think that they were just that was just a moment and everything clicked. And they were special, and maybe don't come back around. Well, okay, and that's you can't fine because we'll always have them on download or disc or wherever you want to watch them, and we do encourage you to watch them. Now, uh, for now, our purposes, well, no, the thing our, is, I, I mean, you can't yeah. you can't always catch lightning in a bottle, but I mean, I'm okay, saying. if they if they'd had a better, but you know, I don't know that if they'd had a better script and actors with chemistry, it could have sung. I mean, look at uh, look at the Man from Uncle movie, right? It deviates wildly yeah. from. I mean, I'm the devious Wally, but it's it has a it has its own tone. It's inspired by you know it's inspired by the original uh, you know by the original, but it very much has its own work. tone and its own chemistry, and it really really works. You it know, really work, but it really really works. 
So uh, some, sometimes, you, sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and sometimes you don't. Uh, it's a crapshoot. It's always going to be a crapshoot. Um, I was talking to, uh, uh, yeah, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so let's see. We watched, now did you guys watch this on Voodoo too? Uh, uh, Amazon, 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 Prime. Amazon. Amazon Prime. You got it on Prime. Uh, they got Avengers on Amazon. I downloaded it on the streaming service Voodoo, V-U-D-U, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get like, the whole season for ten bucks on Voodoo, which I was pretty happy with. Was yours um, high? De- was no? Was yours the Studio Canal high def? Yes. Okay. Good, because it. That was gorgeous. Yeah, it is absolutely. I didn't realize. I'm like, is that? I'm, you know, we we hit play. I'm like, okay. I'm like, wait, is that the Studio Canal opener? That's the Studio Canal opener, and it's gorgeous. Okay. The costumes, Technicolor, like, Technicolor and, Dream. Uh, I mean, and it's again, it's a really. I mean, it seems like it's a really good transfer again because they filmed this. You know, this was filmed on film, kids. So you can do a high, a high def remaster like you can do for this. You know, for this and for the prisoner and such. You know, whereas you can't do this for some things because well, it was filmed on videotape. So we're probably never going to get a high def of the Cosby Show. Like we would want one, but anyway. Um, but anyway, it looks gorgeous, and like every, every delightful twinkle in Dame Diana's eyes, sigh. What were we talking about? Uh, anyway, so we we uh, selected a fifth season episode called Return to the Cybernauts. We are not experts on the Avengers, so in looking at the episodes available, we saw that this one had Peter Cushing in it. And if you got to pick one, Pick one that has Peter Cushing, right? Because how can you go wrong? And indeed, I do not think we went wrong. Mm-hmm. As this is a pretty strong hour of TV. It opens with a wonderfully sort of stylized title sequence uh, with Steed in his bowler hat and an umbrella and his carnation and uh, Emma being super cool and glasses of champagne and a terrific theme song, right? It opens on like a, some kind of what was for the 1960s, a very slick, up-to-date computer console. We see faces on computer cards. Uh, we go through one that has Steve's picture on it. We go through one that has Emma's picture on it. And then we see one that has a picture of this, uh, of this dude, right? That we've and never this, seen before. He was not in the say, credits. Say again? Yeah, so, uh, oh, sorry. Just, uh, some dude we've never seen before. Who's not in the credits? It's probably some not going dude. to go well for him. Probably not going well for him. He may as well be wearing a red shirt. And they put this card with his face on it into this uh, computer machine, right? With lots of milliamp um, dials. We looked very carefully. Lots yes. of milliamps. All the milliamps, kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we go, when we and we uh, cut to uh, a British manor house, and we see this 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 guy that we haven't seen before that wasn't in the credits, and he is kidnapped by like a six or seven foot tall figure in a black trench coat and a hat in some kind of silver metallic face, right? And if you were to say to yourself, after seeing the title, I bet you that's a cybernaut, you would be correct. So uh, so this English guy is kidnapped by a cybernaut. Then our, our next scene, we cut to uh, the redoubtable John Steed, played by Patrick McNeigh, and the uh, delectable Emma Peel, played by Diana Rigg. And they are having uh, having uh, drinks and talking art with Peter freaking Cushing, right? Now, this is, uh, take your pick. This is Van Helsing. This is Dr. Frankenstein. This is Grand Moff Tarkin. This is, I mean, it, this man also has an IMDb rap sheet as long as your arm. And he's just as much a legend as the other two, right? And he's playing a character named Paul Beresford. And judging from the dialogue, he seems to be some kind of agent, some kind of uh, artist agent or something like that, or a collector. And they're discussing vintage wines, and they're discussing art, and just having this sort of, you know, um, you know, uh, champagne-driven, you know, high-class English conversation you'd think they would have. Stephen Peel called away because there are, uh, there's, there's been a, a series of cases of missing scientists. Now there's uh, another guy missing, and they're called away to investigate. Mislaid. Yes, the scientists have been mislaid. We don't know where they are. Yes, the, the, um, the, the, the bureau prefer you know uh, the ministry prefers that that phrase. It, it makes it sound less permanent. Yes, I just again Patrick McKinney is just super dapper, like just 
positively i mean just that that twinkle in his eyes he's just he's just delightful fun to watch you know throughout all of this he's having he's he's having a great time and consequently we have a great time now as soon as Stephen peel leave who should enter peter cushing's house uh and the character's name is paul beresford right but probably i'm just gonna call him peter cushing right uh, and then who should enter cushing's house but that self-same silver-faced cybernaut drone, right? And next up, uh, next up we see Steve and Peel investigating the crime scene, which has been uh, good and properly smashed up, right? So they're out there, they're investigating. And we cut back to Peter Cushing and the henchmen, right? And they're looking for scientists. Cushing has a plan. There's something he needs, like a, he needs specific kinds of scientists. He wants a broad range of abilities here. Oh, and one thing that oh, one one thing is the way they do this cut is it starts with Steve, you know, uh, you know, Peel asking Steve about okay, who are the scientists who are disappearing, and he starts to explain, and then we cut to, and then we cut to Peter Cushing explaining to his you know his hench scientist the various scientists he and engineers and such he has been kidnapping and what they are specialists in, so it's rather you know I mean it. Very, I, I just like that as a narrative device, just a nice little cut of just making it funnily clear, yes, he is doing this, and this is why he's kidnapping them, rather than just being, mm-hmm. you know, an info dump between, uh, you know, uh, Steed to Peel. I just thought it was just, you know, it was a, it was a great little cut, I thought, um, and just, you know, the, just the way they did that. I mean, very, very, simple, very simple narrative device, but just, you know, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then we establish that the Cybernaut, that the drone, is searching for these scientists by means of their heartbeats. Mm-hmm. This is the fingerprint according to Peter Cushing. Right, and the card we saw fed into the machine in the beginning was a copy of his cardiogram, right? Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. So, um, so we dispatch the cybernaut after another scientist. Uh, this guy's name, I think, is Neville. And uh, the cybernaut chases this scientist down, rips through the hood of his car, and lifts him bodily out of the car, puts him over his shoulder, and takes him back, right? Now, one thing, you know, I was wondering in this, 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 the, the, the last kidnapping, where, the, where he rips him out of the car, is the, the, the cybernaut just walks. We never see it run. It just goes thud, 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 thud. I mean, like, so why doesn't he just run and then of course he runs to the car and says you know says he observed uh, what was it you, you, how, 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 what was your reply hmm. it's like it's I don't know, like a, he's like a slasher movie villain he'll just get there he's he may not be fast but he's inevitable and i'm thinking well that's just silly and then the guy drops his keys in the parking lot and then has to go back and run back and pick them up and then he gets uh, in the car and that's how the robot gets him but yes. it's not because the robot is still halfway across the parking lot right so it's like yeah. okay he tries to start the car the car doesn't want to start i'm like oh come on the car doesn't want to start the car doesn't want to start and then they do a reverse like oh it's a jag never mind okay so yeah. um but which are notoriously in the shop yes the that well yes 60s jack yeah so okay so he goes to start the car and he's like okay he's gonna get away and the cybernaut just puts his hand on the windshield and stops it now does our does the scientist think to put it in reverse gear no he does not he just sort of spins you know he literally spins his wheels for a little bit there uh and then is ripped bodily from the car <sighs> Again, this is in broad daylight. There's nobody else around. It is not like evening. It is not. It, it's 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 very odd. I'm, Which brings uh, up an interesting point. According to Spy Television, the Britain book, uh, this particular with each with each new partner Steve got, they typically there was typically a new writing producing team that came on to do the show. And this particular writing and producing team, one of their aesthetic choices was not to have extras. Mm. So you don't see a lot of extras in the Stephen Peel Avengers. Um, it's kind of I don't. Well, that's I don't why know. a giant silver man can just walk around. Yeah, it's why this giant silver guy walks around just grabbing people in broad daylight because there's nobody there to see. Him. Well, to be fair, um, I mean, Jaws. 
I mean, Jaws made it through passport control apparently without even so much as you know people batting an eyelid. So that was the seventies. Lots of crazy things went down in the seventies. You know, so it's kind of one of those. I, I guess it was one of those like, well, you know, this just seems really weird that no one notices a giant robot. Then you know, nobody notices the equally, you know, the seven foot tall man with metal teeth. Um, so I can't really. Well, when, we, well, at least when Jaws doesn't smile, nobody knows, right? He's just seven feet tall. Right. He's still. Yeah. Just seven guy, feet tall. That's that's still Richard Keel is. I mean, he's got the hat and the sunglasses, but he's still very obviously a killer robot. I mean, it's well, basic. It's, it's very clearly. It's, the, it's, apparently, literally just walks in a straight line, following the heartbeat, and then straight back to Barrister. I mean, he's the woodsman for the Wizard of Oz, wearing a black trench coat and a hat and sunglasses it's like the right. you know it's it's mm-hmm. i it kind of beg, it kind of begs the sunglasses don't really well the sunglasses actually from the sunglasses because of the from a distance because you're not you know any eyes or anything too that i mean, you know there's no i don't think there are any eyes on there it, otherwise it's just sort of this white shiny face whereas the sunglasses kind of you know the sunglasses and the hat and the black coat they give you that face anything looking at you um but you can't see its eyes vibe there so i can see that you know that as a as a costuming bit it's like okay uh you know if they just did like the if they did just like the death mask thing uh yeah, i don't think it would be as you know it wouldn't quite be i don't know if it would be quite as effective as just having the sunglasses if nothing else just you know also that we were we're having a good shuffle here, but make no mistake, it is effective. Right? Yeah, in, uh, in general. That's kind, of our, that's kind of our mission statement. We have a shuffle here, but our respect and admiration and love for the material is never yeah. to be questioned. I mean, again, you're, you're um, working you're working our, our listening a, audience, If you haven't figured out by now that occasionally we will crack a joke, but we do love this well, stuff unironically and sincerely. Right? I mean, and we, we, we laugh about the sunglasses on the silver-faced death robot. But the silver-faced death robot is, in fact, effective. Right, but so. and, and there is, I mean, there is something to say. You know, the aesthetic of, hey, our aesthetic was not having a lot of extras. I am certain the producers were very, you know, were very happy and pleased by that aesthetic, as it meant fewer, you know, they had to cut fewer checks each episode. But yeah, that's one exactly. of the things when you're working, you know, uh, great art comes from having limitations. Because uh, we've seen some giant blockbusters where they had, there were no limits, and maybe there should have been. But maybe, and, and maybe there should have been. But little, sim- but little simple things. Um, the guy who did uh, sh- the the Shazam movie, okay. Uh, you, have you do you have you, you know he does his own he does like little short horror films and he also does some stuff about you know the art of filmmaking. He yeah. did a great one where he broke down some shots from the Shazam movie, and you know basically you know a, making movies solving a series of problems uh, is the way he puts it. And yeah, the, the you know for me I, the the little little bits and pieces where you know like well we had this problem in production so we covered up with this little thing and had you know like okay you put the sunglasses on there guess what also the guy you know the poor guy in the costume can now see you see that that right there is a you oh, know oh very good you know so just it's little because then the fans can have eye holes and the guy can see where he's going right so yeah so and I don't know if did I. I didn't check the actor credit to the Cybernaut. If he was actually seven foot tall, if he was on drywall stilts, or mm. what? Because he's huge. Or they just put him on, or, or yeah, what they did there. But you know, just again, little small things. It's like okay, hey, that's fairly effective. And again, it's a TV budget. It's not a you know. I mean, the the concept of the blockbuster. I guess really, Golden. Let's see, Goldfinger was when? When was that? That was. I think sixty four. Sixty four. So that was really. I mean, do we think of that as the first blockbuster? of its era. I mean, you know, Star Wars completely, Star Wars took that term, basically said, oh, that's adorable, and, you know, completely redefined it, but, you know, I get Gold- well, there were, there were, I, I do think Goldfinger was the first Bond movie that was genuinely a craze. Okay. Uh, Dr. No was a hit for Muscle with Love was a hit, but Goldfinger took it someplace in it. Right, I'm just trying to think in terms of, like, movies that went to that, went to that level, right? And, uh, you know, how many, you know, which ones went... Uh, you know, just what was the block? You know, it's kind of like uh, what was the block? You know, what was the blockbuster of its era? Right, Star Wars was the blockbuster of the era. It completely redefined what the heck a movie was going to gross and the people's reaction to it. But Goldfinger, I mean, Goldfinger itself had its own massive. Well, um, Goldfinger was a massive hit, and then Thunderball. Thunderball went someplace even even higher than that. If you just, I once did the numbers and adjusted for inflation, and Thunderball was an Avengers level hit. Uh, in contemporary money, Thunderball did like a billion dollars domestic, right? Um, Thunderball was a Goldfinger was a massive hit, and then Thunderball completely doubled down on it, right? Um, 
I always get a little bit irritated when people talk about Star Wars changing the game. So, and that's not what you're saying at all, because um, there all, there's this branch of film critics that always complain that Star Wars, you know, ended this series of like dark, personal, intimate '70s movies and stuff like that. And thank I'm like, God, not paying attention. Thank God, there was always. <laughs> well, thank God for doing that for one thing, and uh, and, and number two, um, Jaws was a big giant blockbuster hit before that. And The Godfather was a big, giant blockbuster hit before that. And there have, all, there have always been blockbusters. There have always been big hits that, from which the studios always learn the wrong lesson. And uh, let's let's stop dumping on George and his movie, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's been going on a good long while, too. Um, so uh, back to Steve and Mrs. Peel. Who, uh, they, head back to, they head back to Peter Cushing's place. They head back to Peter Cushing's place because apparently Emma left her purse there the night before. And they go back there to get her purse at the same time the Cybernaut is returning with the kidnapped scientist. In broad daylight. In broad daylight, I want to point out. In broad daylight. And there's a little tense nail-biting scene. Is she going to get her purse and get out before they find out that the Cybernaut is coming back? Apparently the Cybernaut does not have a pause button. They can't just hit a button and just tell it, you know, stay in the woods or whatnot. It just keeps inexorably coming. It will... Yeah. It cannot be stopped. Reasoned with, it cannot be stopped. It is going to deliver the unconscious scientist to your back door. Now, after... uh, Yeah. It's like, in in a way, in a way, he's kind of an early version of the Terminator. You know, the relentless, the relentless machine, the unstoppable foe, right? I'd be surprised if James Cameron hadn't seen this one. So uh, after Peel, after Emma gets out with her purse and whew, Cushing breathes a sigh of relief, the henchman advises Cushing that it was a mistake to cultivate Steed and Peel socially like that. So starting to hint at Cushing's plan, right? And you kind of assume when we saw Peter Cushing, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he's got like he's got to be the villain because you do I mean, you don't just have Peter. I mean. Unless Peter was just there, and they're like, "Hey, we need you, we, we need somebody here for five minutes, basically, to just you know set up the scene with uh, with with Pat, with, you know, with with Pat and Diana." But I mean, like you you didn't get to get Peter Cushing to just have him serve drinks and be charming. I mean, oh no, he, even though he does that so very, he well. does that very well, and then basically he will explain how he's going to destroy you. So I mean, it's you know, so I'm like, it's got to be the villain. You know, he's got to be. It's like we, you, have, you have Philip Seymour Hoffman in your movie. He's going to be the villain, right? Okay, has to be. Although I am a little sad that Cushing was the villain because he was, in fact, so very delightful and charming, mm-hmm. right? So I was a little sad he was... I mean, I knew he was going to be the villain, but I was a little sad he was actually the villain because I was kind of enjoying just watching him drop Bon Mose with Stephen Peel and drink a little wine here and there. I was a little sad about that. I, really, I wonder how if he would basically... I just try to imagine, you know, that Peter Cushing's Grand Moff Tarkin. You know, just basically if they, if they play Grand Moff Tarkin like that, it's like, which, you know, why, little port? Okay, well, delightful. Are you comfortable? Is the chair comfortable enough? Okay, all right, good, 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 good. Excellent view. All right, wonderful. Uh, Princess Leia, would you like to sample this fine claret? If you have something nasty to say about Darth Vader, wait, scoot over here. You know, I would just, that would be, yeah, sorry. <sighs> which is cool because if you want to watch him as the hero, you can go watch a Hammer Dracula movie and see him be Van Helsing, right? Mm. Uh, which is like the, in a way, he is kind of the quintessential Van Helsing, right? Uh, so certainly better than Hugh Jackman's. Oh, God. Steve and Mrs. Peel go to the site of the kidnapping from the car, and they're looking at the car, and they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on, and they realize that maybe an old enemy of theirs is back, something called a Cybernaut, right? Hmm. Even though the creator of the Cybernauts, they watch the guy die, right? Uh-huh. But maybe they're back, right? And they actually have footage of Michael Gow, also from Horror of Dracula. Uh, and freaking Alfred. Yeah, yeah, who was Alfred in the Michael Keaton Batman films when he was older. Uh, so we cut back to Peter Cushing, and he's talking to these kidnapped scientists, and he explains that the inventor, the inventor of the Cybernauts was his brother, a man named Clement Armstrong. Like we said, Freaking Alfred, right? So, you know, right right now, I feel like we're really getting value for the money because we have Steve and Mrs. Peel and Peter Cushing and freaking Alfred in this thing, right? Even though technically Alfred is just stock footage they're cutting in from the earlier episode. Mm. And what he wants these guys to do, because he was really angry that his brother is dead, and he says he could probably have just hired assassins or whatever to have Steve and Peel killed, but he wants something innovative. He wants something new and horrible. 
He wants them to suffer in ways people have never, what was his phrase? A rhapsody of suffering, right? Hmm. And he wants them to come up with something new to find a, uh, yeah. One of the scientists, uh, and he's willing to, and Peter Cushing is willing to put like 100,000 pounds in front of each of these guys. They've been kidnapped, but he wants to compensate them for their efforts. Two of these guys are willing to go along with it, but the third one, uh, the third one doesn't want to go along with it. And uh, Peter Cushing says, all right, you can go. And he gets up and he leaves, and the door opens, and there's a cybernaut, and the cybernaut kills him. Because then he comes to the door and tells you, oh, that's all right, I don't need you. You can leave. Uh, you're dead. You're about to die. You're about to die. We all know it. Yes, I mean it's like whack. I mean, but it, it's just it's the cybernaut chop. Just yeah, whack. cybernaut neck chopping people. Sometimes it just sometimes it kills. Yeah, it's like yeah. Kirk Fu. Basically, you know, sometimes it's stunned, sometimes it's killed. Okay, I don't think Kirk actually ever killed any of his bare hands, but you know, just like, know. whack. You Not know, we know. I mean, the guy playing the cybernaut had exactly one martial arts move, but by golly, I mean, he did it with gusto. Chop. <laughs> chop that's a lot of chop it's a lot of chop so let's see um so the cybernaut goes and kidnaps another scientist this guy's name is garnet and after this guy is kidnapped steve goes and interviews his secretary who i think is some kind of uh who i think is supposed to be some kind of caricature of like a liberated 60s girl or something like that i found her the uh, actually the Yes, up until this point, the Cybernaut was, to my mind, the most fantastical, unbelievable portion of the show. Then this character comes into the frame, and I'm like, okay, you, you know, the Cybernaut is now the second least plausible thing in this entire show. <laughs> because if, if she's supposed to be some kind of satire of contemporary culture, which I suspect uh, is kind of lost on us now, and she kind of comes off as unbelievably stupid. Um... Which kind of leads into the idea. I've I, I read a little bit that one of the things that makes the Avengers what it is is a certain push and pull between what they would have considered sort of classical English culture and then modern England. Right? That steel represents a kind of um, a kind of historic gentility in a way, and Emma represents a very modern, uh, progressive, future-looking England. And I think that uh, the secretary might fall in some kind of category like that. But uh, whatever they intended with that, she kind of falls uh, flat these days because she's just kind of unbelievably stupid. Um, So uh, we we cut back to uh, Peter Cushing, who talks to the new kidnapped scientist, who seems to see reason with Peter Cushing, like, you're kidnapped, I don't want to have to kill you, here's money, please work for me. He seems to see. Yeah, he he looks uncertain, but the other two guys are like, we talked to him and he is totally on board. Now, Emma arrives back at Peter Cushing's place. She's soon soon joined by Steed. Um, And Cushing and John Steed talk over a claret, and Steed says he's looking for it. Now, this is Clement Armstrong, the guy they knew killed the cyber, the guy they knew invented the cybernauts. He's talking to a lawyer Armstrong's lawyer to find his next of kin, right? Now, at this point, Peter Cushing leaves ostensibly to go get another bottle of wine. Um, Emma's teased a little bit by Steve, like Cushing is gone, that she's genuinely fond. It turns out she's genuinely fond of Paul Beresford, of Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. that he's cultured, he, civilized. He with her. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, and they drop here in the dialogue that they met at some kind of art auction after which they've, he's kind of been pursuing her a little bit, right? So this is uh, kind of ironic. Peter Cushing is trying to kill her, and she's actually kind of into him a little bit. While they're there at um, Paul's place, Steve receives a call that the lawyer he's been looking for has been located. Uh, Cushing uh, makes an excuse, gets out of the room, goes to his henchman, and uh, they send the cybernaut after the lawyer. Because mm-hmm. the lawyers know who Clement Armstrong's next of kin was, and it's him, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they dispatch the cybernaut. The cybernaut kills the lawyer, right? Yep. No. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing we should probably point uh, out here, uh, out here, is of course, you know, this is the '60s, so computers were giant room-filled things. So, I, you know, I suppose, you know, it, really plausibility kind of goes out the window here. It's got a, I mean, it's a, it involves a killer robot, but the fact that whatever agency that you know. Um, 
John and Emma work for, didn't bother keeping files on, you know, madmen who built killer robots in terms of who are their next of kin, who are other people that might, you know, it's just like, well, oh, well, he's disposed of, wonderful, all right, and just in time, you know, just in time for the theater. It just, it's, it's, it's... Yeah, whereas Beresford has, Beresford has apparently gotten hold of the, the actual cardiogram from the official medical chart of each of these people. Yes, apparently yes, he, yeah, he is much yeah he is much more up on I mean he is much more up on our our, our heroes uh, than uh, the his assistant did not make those cards they were apparently stolen out of the hospital charts of these people which I don't know do, do people do people actually keep that kind of thing is that a real thing is my, is my heartbeat as identifiable as a fingerprint and is that I do not believe your heartbeat is as identifiable as a fingerprint no. Is that something you can actually steal from a file? I, I don't think so. Probably not. There usually is. Nowadays, it's probably more electronic. There can be a little printout of like an EKG. I don't think it's normally a little blue computer card with your picture on it. <sighs> Sorry. Maybe it was in 1967. Oh, actually, well, wait a moment. Uh, I remember, huh. Maybe this is one of those things where we just sort of give them the artistic license. Oh, actually... Your finger heart, cardiac, your cardiac signature is relatively unique. Really? I did not know that. I thought that was a bit of techno babble they were making up for the. Uh... Huh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the uh, twenty nineteen apparently DARPA was looking at using uh, something called laser vibrometry to detect the surface movement caused by the heartbeat uh, through typical clothing, so that they could identify people at a distance. Mm-hmm. Probably so they could drop a bomb on them. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, and Peter Cushing, being Peter Cushing, of course, has all this figured out back in the 60s. Hmm. So uh, Steed arrives too late to save the lawyer and is promptly clobbered by the Cyberman. Am I clobbered non-lethally. Non-lethally by the Cyberman. So I guess uh, I guess the Cyberman doesn't automatically kill. And he, he defends himself, but only kills his target. Well, I, we, okay, again, he why usually, he... well, he usually only knocks out his target. He only killed the one guy who tried to leave. Yeah, so his specific order. So he, I guess. We know Beresford wants uh, Steve and Peel alive as well, at least for a little while. So yeah, he wants them alive because he wants them to- wants them properly to suffer. Right. Uh, so Emma finally leaves Paul's after having had a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we cut to the scientists who are still, you know, beavering away. Garnet, the most recently kidnapped one, asks uh, for some expensive specialized equipment that they say he can have. Steed uh, goes back and investigates at Garnet's office, where he finds uh, he talks to uh, I guess somebody from from uh, some ministry or another some government official, and mm-hmm. says that says that Garnet's specialty was defense and aggression, right? Yeah, the, now, Garnet, this, oh yeah, the fellow is named Conroy. I think he's the fellow that they've been talking with um, throughout. And I was oh I meant to check if he was a regular or not. Hmm. And I forgot to do that, but we can cut this part out. Now, Garnet goes to uh, Cushing, and he says, okay, I've got something for you, when he shows him this little box, right? And Cushing says, what does it do? And Garnet says, this, slam, throws it on the ground, boom, smoke, explosion, and he's invented a little something uh, to use in his escape. So it's kind of uh, shades of Tony Stark in a way, because he's invented the thing he needs to get out. So um, Garnet escapes, goes on the run. Uh, he makes it to Steed's place uh, and finds Emma there because she had been there looking after Steed's poor clobbered head, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Garnet makes it to Steed's place and he manages to uh, utter something along. He's exhausted and spent when he gets there, and he managed to utter something along the lines of "Steed, Peel, warn you" or something like mm-hmm. that. Before long, the Cybernaut actually catches him picks him up, backhands Emma over a couch, and makes good escape. Now, if also, you... this dude apparently knows where Emma lives and decides to go there. I'm trying to remember if there was a throwaway line that they'd worked with him once before. But oh, he had met at least Steve. Yes, but clearly, I mean, so apparently he runs all the way through town, uh, does not bother to stop and phone anyone from the defense ministry, someone the police, or anybody else, but he goes to John Steed's house to specifically warn him rather than, you know, go anywhere else. Yeah. And... 
It is later revealed that apparently I thought, well, maybe, you know, John Steed's house is out in the country and he just happens to be a neighbor of Peter Cushing. But no, as we find out in a slightly later scene, John Steed's house is apartment or whatever is in the middle of town which means the which means but I'll let you yeah, finish finish what happens next so um, we go back we cut back to Cushing's apartment Cushing's place um, the two other scientists uh, now have a plan but get this they're going to need skin conductivity data from Steed and Peel and they're going to need to get it from them from them holding some kind of metallic object with sensors in it so the plot thickens. Steed returns to his, Steed uh, returns to find Emma recuperating on the same couch I think he was recuperating on. Mm-hmm. She has now been perfectly clobbered, and Steed comes back with the information that cardiograms are missing from those scientists' files. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now, uh, and at this point, they get called back to Cushing's place because he says he's got some information about Clement Armstrong, the guy they know invented the Cybernauts. Steed and Pills show up. And uh, he surprises them. He hands them what looks like a bronze, a bronze bust of Emma Peel, which they both sort of physically handle, right? So now mm-hmm. the bad guys we know have the data that they need. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul says that his info doesn't really his didn't work out. That he was wrong. He was mistaken. He's sorry. But while they're there, uh, he gets uh, a visual of Steed's watch. And now what we find out, we, and then later after Steve and Peel leave, and we see Cushing with his, with his scientists again, the scientists have devised a way to turn a person into a puppet, a kind of human cybernaut, by controlling their nervous system. Something like a pacemaker, they say. That they put a device in something the size of a watch that allows you to control someone, to control someone's body with them being fully aware but unable to do anything about it. They test this out on Garnet, the scientist who escaped and that they retrieved, and they tested on him until he dies. Mm. And the two guys are kind of appalled, but Peter Cushing is like, nah, 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 now we just know what the limits of the thing are. Doesn't bat an eye. Now, Cushing's favorite henchman later breaks into Steed's apartment to try to switch out Steed's watch with a duplicate of the watch that has the device in it. Now, and, but, in, but now what Cushing does with Emma, because he's been cultivating her affections, is give her an expensive gift, a watch that has the, 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 the person control device in it. So now Steve's watch has been switched out, and now Emma has a watch with the, with the evil plan. Dun, dun, dun. Um, now, the next day, uh, Emma goes to Steve's apartment to pick him up, to take him to lunch at Paul's house, at which point her watch is activated, and her face goes blank, and her movements are under are under Cushing's control. So she's summoned, but Steed hasn't put his watch on yet. So Peel goes outside, gets in her convertible, gets in her convertible sports car, peels away. Uh, Steed jumps in front of her car, tries to stop her. She damn near runs him down. Steed gets in his like convertible Bentley, and then takes off after her. Right. Right. Um, mind this you, this is one of those points where we see some of the contrast between a classical Britain and a mod Britain. Because here's Steve and his Bentley, and here's Emma Peel and her little convertible. So we get some more contrast here. Right. Also, bear in mind, it's 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 very clearly Steed lives in an apartment, which means when the Cybernaut, the Cybernaut trundled all the way into town, recaptured the scientist, and trundled all the way back out to Peter Cushing's country estate, no one noticed. Nobody saw a silver-faced robot carrying... Yeah. Yeah, nobody saw this. Now, the only um, explanation I have is by this point, you know, you know, semi-rural or semi-rural Britain was basically just so inured to basically, you know, silver robots and pepper pots trying to basically, you know, kidnapping, waylaying people, kidnapping people, trying to disintegrate things and otherwise take over. It was just like, well, oh well, and just basically, you know, uh, went basically, but you know, went back to making tea. That that is the only explanation I can come up with here. But, but now that is interesting because I find that the aesthetic of the Avengers jives pretty closely with the aesthetic of Doctor Who. Well, they were I, I very much. This reminded me of bits and pieces. I mean, and again, I, I haven't delved into the production crew that closely, but I mean, uh, some of the shots and some of the just the way you know, it very much reminded me of like a a third Doctor, um, a, you know, a third Doctor episode. In terms of how they shot it, Perch Week. 
a John Pertwee episode which just you know which that was also that was the Technicolor Doctor Who right that was in colors who was wearing this crushed velvet mod jacket and all this other stuff so it just um, yeah it very much reminded me of all that you know just and again probably same people you know it, that's kind of there's that aesthetic because hey we have co- we can do this in color now but just some of the yeah. shots or the weird angles or whatever I don't think we got monster vision. Well, we kind of got a proto monster vision. The weird alternating Dutch angles. The first time, what we don't yet know is the Cybernaut is approaching the guy's door. That's a good point. So we do kind of get proto monster vision there, right? Where you know yeah. this, the shots go at the increasingly weird angles as you get closer and closer to the door. Uh, there, you know, uh, in in the opener. So yeah, in a sense, yeah, this very much, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it, the, the setting very much, very, very much jives with it. And it was, I'll be honest, it was. I knew Avengers kind of got into the spy-fi side side of things that kind of uncle got to, but yeah, I was serious or weird, yeah, yeah, or just you know crazy, you know. I was not expecting, I was not expecting killer robots and you know the anti-life equation here. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a weird way, I was kind of expecting that because uh, my experience with the Avengers before had always been that it was more in the sci-fi direction, right? So I kind of was uh, expecting that. Now, now, weirdly, now I'm going to probably go look later for like a third Doctor slash Avenger. Well, not slash fiction, certainly. But, but maybe third Doctor Avengers fan fiction because that, those would seem to go very, very well again. Well, just anything uh, again, any kind of the, any of the third. I mean, he's working with units, so you know, there's a whole. I mean, arguably, you know, the John Pertwee stuff. I mean, he's much more the action adventure Doctor. Um, yeah. With, you know, Venusian karate. You know, Venusian jiu jitsu or karate or whatever. It's you know, so there, there are. I mean, he's working with the unit. It's generally, you know, basically going up against the master. So it, it very much is. You know, it is kind of the. He, he's very much the James Bond of the various Doctor incarnations. Uh, oh yeah. So, so there's like a car chase where, um, and like here's Peel in her convertible, and here's Steve the Bentley, and they're racing out to Peter Cushing's place. Um, Emma Peel arrives, and she's still mind controlled. And here's uh, Peter Cushing in a cardigan of all things. So now he's like, and stay with me here, the evil Mr. Rogers. Because, yeah, this is like, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood for killing children. Oh, no, no. And, you uh, will pray for death. <laughs> no, no. Say again? At some point, I may kill you, but. You obeys me without any uh, feelings or idea that it could do different. So now, and here's the ironic part, because he's he's got this machine on Emma's wrist to get her to do whatever he wants, and the implication being that it may not be entirely wholesome, right? Hmm. And the irony here well, is... since he's been flirting with her the whole episode, yeah, God, what he wants to do with her is... Yeah. Now, the irony here is, she was into him. Uh-huh. She was actually kind of into him, right? right. So... Even though, even though she's Mrs. Peel, her husband has apparently been missing this whole time. Uh, he's possibly dead. According to the book, he's supposedly dead. Right, right, right. Oh, that's right. It's just he turns. That's right. He turns up alive later, and that's why she ends up leaving the show. But currently, he's thought to be dead. That's right. So it's uh, not that weird that both Steed and uh, Beresford seem to be flirting with her. Seem to be flirting with her. And this is also kind of funny. If you asked, if you asked Patrick McNee uh, mm-hmm. if he was involved, if Steve was involved with his various female partners, mm-hmm. he would say yes. Oh. But if you asked those partners, <laughs> they would say no. They always say no. So if you ask McNee if Steed slept with Peel, McNee would say yes. If you asked Diana Rigg if Peel slept with Steel, she would say no. <laughs> um, so that's kind of funny. So um, now eventually we have Steed and Peel and the scientists and the henchmen and Cushing and the Cybernaut all in a room together. Mm. And um, Cushing monologues like a, like a villain do. Uh, and explains that, you know, you killed my brother. You, you killed my brother, Alfred, damn you. And then um, and then here's what we're going to do. We're going to control you, and you're going to do whatever I tell you, and it's going to be horrible, and you're going to suffer. And they take um, a, a, another one of those watches, and they're trying to, and they grab Steve, and they try to switch, try to slide it onto his arm, right? And here the editing fails me a little bit. But I think what happens is that Steed pulls his arm away, and they accidentally slip the control watch onto the arm of the Cybernaut. Right. At which, at which point, the Cybernaut goes berserk and starts killing everybody in the room. Cybernaut chop, bam! Cybernaut chop, bam! Like, scientist dies, henchman dies, other scientist dies. 
uh, Steed gets the watch off Mrs. Peel. And she's herself again. And the Cybernaut grabs Peter Cushing and gets him in like a death hug, right? And Peter Cushing's thrashing around in this thing's arms as it crushes him to death. And they try to save him, but they can't, and the Cybernaut kills Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. At which point, I think in Emma's terms, the Cybernaut has something of what you might call an electronic nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of pokes it in the arm and it falls over. Bam. And I think that must be a bit of refer- referring back to an earlier one, because I think, was it... Uh... Yeah. She, well, no, she, uh, when they first went to investigate the site of the Cybernaut attack, she poked an entire door that it had bashed in and it fell over. Uh, and she okay. said, I don't know my strength, which is why she starts to poke the Cybernaut, and Steed says, my turn, and pokes it in. Okay, that, okay, I, I knew it was a callback, sometimes. I wasn't sure if that was the previous Cybernaut episode, okay, I missed, I missed the door bit, I didn't connect those two, thank you. So, case is wrapped up, case is resolved. And we have what is apparently the sort of little, I, I, I get it, there's a sort of little humorous tag at the mm. end of each episode. And we see, uh, we see, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Jesus, Eric. We see Steve trying to fix Emma's toaster. And he has been fiddling around with her toaster. And uh, the toaster goes, blam, like you know it's going to. It goes, blam, and then like fires off through the ceiling and then leaving two pieces of toast on the table mm. and uh, Steve says that Britain finally managed to get something into orbit <laughs> here we go we, we wrap the show up yeah I think we all just love the crap out of that did you guys oh. like that show oh no it was yeah. a lot of fun it was again it was I, I knew they occasionally you know because I, I never I never really saw it um, you know growing up or in any syndicate I, you know it wasn't I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what, where it aired but I not any place I ever saw it so I, I, you know, I knew just tangentially. Yeah, they did some, you know, they, it was more on the spy-fi side of things, and they get, did some really, you know, did some or some really weird, you know, loopy episodes there. But yeah, wow, I was not. I mean, it was um, this, this could have done for a reasonable Doctor Who episode as well. I, and I was not, I was not really expecting that. And then looking back over some of the other episodes, because we went ahead and mm-hmm. grabbed, um, we 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 grabbed that season because it was like it was like three bucks for one episode or what nine bucks, ten bucks for the the entire season. I'm like, let's just. That, that's- that was similar to the price structure on Voodoo too. Yeah, so we're like, okay, might as well. T- and but did you did you read some of the episode taglines? I don't know if they're different on Amazon. Yeah. It's like yeah. this weird Mad Libs, particularly for the early seasons. It's like John Steed, you know, John Steed wears fedora, and you know, Kathy takes up tap dancing. And I'm like, yeah, I think mostly season four like tries to relate them somehow, even if they're. But I'm like, what the? They're both puns or something. I'm like, I think what the like hell act, is this? I think those were like act descriptions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, like a, in, in this act, the Steed does this, Kathy does that. Right. Okay. I am just absolutely. You know, so I'm like, do I want? I'm like, I, I, I now, no, no. What am I doing? Like, of course, I'm going to watch more of these. We bought the entire season, but I'm like, these are we. It, I'm like. I mean, I guess if you're coming to watch the Avengers, you have presumably gone looking for it. You have not accidentally mm-hmm. found it because you know you 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 got the other Avengers stuff over on Disney Plus. So if you're looking for this, you know what you're looking for. So you're mm-hmm. you're going to hit buy if this is what you're looking for because they're not really doing a lot to. I mean, again, Mad Libs, man, the Mad Libs. We actually, the season we actually bought doesn't seem to do the little two part. Yeah, the, those are a little more. Yeah, those are a little. You know, the other ones. It's like. Steed goes fishing and Kathy is the bait. Or... Well, that one's at, no, that one's at least comprehensible. That actually relates the two. Okay, that's okay. You can kind of see. Okay, a little thing. He's going basically. Um, you know, but the, some of the others, it's like there's zero connection here. And you know, this one is like, okay, you know, a guy killer robot tries to kill Steed and Peel. Okay, that one's positively pedestrian. That's basically okay. This is the TV guide entry, no problem. Okay, great. The others are just like. This is weird. Earlier, there was a time travel episode. Yeah. Now, admittedly, and I guess I suppose the flip side is like, well, it's weird, which means now I have to watch all of them to see what the heck they, uh, um, you know, what the heck, how, how does this relate? Um, I suppose. So there, there is that, I guess. But yeah, now, it's for, just. For my part, oh, oh, hell yes, we're covering some more of this because I had a ball watching. Oh, this. it's great fun, <laughs> and their their on screen chemistry is spectacular. Um. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're still talking about this, you know, 55 years later, because they were really something special. But uh, Diana, uh, 
Sigh. Did Patrick McNee died as well? Uh, he's been gone. He died a few years ago. He died before Diana did. Uh, I mean, so they were, uh, yeah, they were genuinely something. They were genuinely something quite special. Um, now, since this is, uh, like I say, we uh, her career as a stage actress, as a television and film actress, uh, host of PBS Mystery, all kinds of stuff. Um, our, what we do here seems um, relatively insufficient to her career and what she was. But this is what we do. This is what we do here. So this is what we're going to do. Um, now, uh, also, if you haven't seen it, you should uh, the one-off with the one-off Bond film with George Lazenby on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Now, um, one of my favorites. You listen to this show. Uh, there's a fair chance you have seen that movie. But if you haven't, you need to watch it. Uh, number one, uh, even though every, all anybody ever talks about is that George Lazenby left after one movie, uh, what that leaves out is that it is a spectacular James Bond movie. And over and above that, it's just a damn good movie on its own terms. And she is even more adorable and on Her Majesty's Secret Service than she was as Emma Peel. Uh, which you, you say that, and on the surface of it, you say, Eric, uh, for her to be even more adorable. How is that even possible? How is it? That breaks the laws of physics, Eric. It's not possible. There's no way that could be. And, and yet here we are. Um, so as far as Dame Diana Rigg goes, uh, she was beautiful. She was extraordinarily talented. Um, everything I've read about her said that she was, you know, the salty, sassy, cynical, funny, endearing, uh, that she was, in fact, everything that you would have wanted her to be. Uh, she was on Doctor Who in the later years of her career. She was on, uh, yeah. She look at look up her IMDb page. Well, you don't need me to read that off to you. She was absolutely awesome. She was terrific, and uh, we're really going to miss her. We're just going to miss being in the same world as Diana Rigg. So, Dame Diana Rigg, wherever you are now, uh, we love you, and we hope you're at peace. Now, that's a little more solid than I thought I was going to get, but what the hell. All right. Do we have anything else to add about this one? I uh, know that we hit all the high points. At some point, I mean, I imagine the viewers are going to point out, you know, we should do On Her Majesty's Secret Service at some point. Yeah, we're going to need to do that one. No that question. One's, I, it's still it's one of my amazing. favorites. It's still one of my favorites. It's, it's, it's an amazing movie. No lie. I mean, all everybody talks about is, you know, George lays me the one-hit wonder, but people forget that it's a really, really, really good Bond movie. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. I mean, he had bad career advice. But was it like? I mean, he walked away from the role. It wasn't like the broccoli said, you know, we need right. somebody else. So, I mean, they picked him. They made a yeah, good pick. They they could have done a lot of different things. They could have picked a lot of different ways to start out. Uh, you know, start out Roger Moore's. Uh, you know, to, to that. But him at Tracy's graveside is. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it, it's a good well, movie. Kids. Doesn't happen for your eyes only, does it? Or does no, it? No, it doesn't. His first appearance, but they, I mean, they they could have not mentioned it. They could have just left oh, it alone. Right, right. You know, they 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 they, they could have. They, they didn't have to do that. There's any number of ways they could have done that. Now, if I remember correctly, the only reference they make to Tracy in the Roger Moore era is him at her gravesite right. for your eyes only. Yeah, the, yeah, but that's. I mean, that's the thing, though. Uh, and then. They don't even name check Tracy. The only other reference you get to it is License to Kill, where uh, David Hedison's Felix Leiter um, notes that um, Timothy Dalton's Bond had been married once. You know, um, right, so but... she was that marriage. The fact of that was mentioned for other actors that played Bond. But uh, as we've talked about in other shows, film to film continuity in the Bond series is pretty sketchy at best. Right, but well, I think the thing again, the thing I just that's appreciate I appreciate about for your your eyes only uh, is Bond at the graveside. There again, I just I I, I, I like that opener. That there's a, no, they're not allowed to call that guy Blofeld. That that is one of the places that Blofeld knows that he can occasionally find James Bond. Yes, yeah. and that make arrangements to kill him. They, you know, her portrayal resonated. You know, even several movies later, they felt you know they again that's they they felt they could make you know they didn't have to explain anything they didn't have to do anything there they just you know showed that you know that gravestone and such is the impact that Diana Riggs you know her her portrayal in that movie of Tracy you know years later still people you know still people remember it you can name check it like that and everybody knows who you're talking about if if you're a Bond if fan you knew, if you knew you knew yes. Right? Exactly, and that, that that I think is a testament to just again, she played the you know was one appearance, but it was one of the best, indelible, absolutely indelible. Um, so yeah, for purposes of our show, definitely go watch the Avengers. You can get it on Prime. You can get it on Vudu, uh, at least. 
Um, and definitely go watch on Her Majesty's Secret Service because she's so she's luminous and heartbreaking and beautiful and funny and everything you could possibly want in someone who would be Mrs. James Bond. Um, now, as always, thank you for joining us here at, at, uh, at Agents of Cool. Um, I'm Eric, your grumpy number six, reachable at... Um, uh, well, 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 what, the hell, what the hell is my email address? I'm blanking here. Is it grumpy number six? It's number six at Agents of Cool. Yeah, Let's take it from the top. Let's take it from the top. You can cut that part out. Thank you, as always, for listening to us here at Agents of Cool. If you want to get in touch with it, my email address is number six, all lowercase, all letters, at agentsof.cool, right? Ray at agentsof.cool. And somewhat appropriately, uh, Mrs. Peel, all lowercase, no period, at agentsof.cool. Excellent. Uh, we hope wherever you are that 2020 did not treat you too harshly. We hope that 2021 is treating you better, and uh, and uh, the agents of cool will return. 